Today is February 8th, 2015. Our message today is simply called One, O-N-E, One. I want to begin just with a few praise reports. The state of the Church of Jesus Christ is absolutely as strong as it was at the day of Pentecost. When people are lamenting the state of the church, they have simply failed to identify the church. As case in point, our youth are normal little boys and girls. They still require corrections. Some of them still get spanked quite frequently. Some of them still need to be spanked quite frequently. And yet, the Spirit of the living God has entered our youth in such a way that if you put them in a group of their peers, the leaven works through the whole loaf. Our children are praying for children to get filled with the Holy Ghost and they're speaking in other tongues and glorifying God. When an eight-year-old child reaches out his hand and his hand becomes God's hand in that moment and the recipient cannot stand under the glory of God's hand but is pressed to the floor with the weight, glory, and significance of the living God, somebody in God's house ought to say hallelujah. When you can go into a prison, as our men did this morning and women did this morning, and speak to a people who are supposed to be the most captive on earth, and find the glorious freedom of the Spirit of God breaking men's chains, And allowing them to enter the heavenlies. Somebody in God's house ought to say hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you hear that just three weeks ago, the pastors at the Arising Church did not know the pastors at Submission Ministries. And yet after meeting, they drove halfway across the country to meet with each other. And the result is one pastoral team prayed for the other pastoral team and the leaders got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Somebody ought to say hallelujah in the house of God. When we're having one-year-old birthdays to celebrate that our children are healed, when we're watching daily Miracles in Eliana Clement. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. Every day I'm faced with a new praise report. This morning, Pastor Eric tells me good things that are happening in his life. Dreams that are being fulfilled. It makes me want to say hallelujah. Yesterday I received a phone call. From Brad Hull. And I found out that there is a prison in Beeville, Louisiana. That need Not Louisiana. Texas. It's so far from here. It's almost Louisiana. That needs a chaplain. 
And it just so happens that God has prepared Brad for that position. It makes me want to say, Hallelujah! We have a president who finds fault with Christianity and defends Islam. Islam has been produced by Satan. The Quran is a satanic book. Muhammad was a pedophile. And his followers are deceived. I find no fault in Christianity. I do find fault in men that have claimed to be Christians and are not. What is your response to such a situation? It makes me want to be the real deal. The genuine article. We can stand and point at all that's wrong or we can be in the name of Jesus everything that is holy, pure, and right. I am not discouraged in the house of God today. I am encouraged in the house of God because when I see our children, I was asked yesterday if we plan to curb our Mexico missions because the consulate has been closed and the border is sealed. I said, we could send our children and they would do just fine. No, in the name of Jesus, we will not close our Mexico missions. The person was embarrassed, they asked, and so I will leave them in anonymity. Church, we are experiencing miracles in our midst. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Jennifer and I had the opportunity to spend some time on a cruise ship. And I want to tell you it was glorious. Soft serve frozen yogurt is one of the greatest things that man has invented in the 20th and 21st centuries. Had the Israelites received it in the desert, they would have grumbled far less. And it is also possible for a nine-year-old little girl who weighs about 50 pounds to eat 60 pounds worth of frozen yogurt. And yet while I was standing there, by about the third day, I thought, wow, all anybody does is eat and go to the next meeting to eat. And they satiate themselves between eatings with drinkings. And life began to look purposeless. And I saw in the eating and the drinking and the being merry how truly hollow that existence is. I had not been on a cruise ship for three days before I wanted to organize the people and storm the gates of hell. I saw a beach in Mexico and I thought, we can take it! We can take it in the name of Jesus! And yet there is a season for everything under the sun. And we do not storm the gates of hell every day. Some days you have to pray, you have to rest, and you have to say, Lord... Can you help make sense of my life so that I don't get lost in all of the activity? If you're very stubborn, you may even get pneumonia or something that forces you to walk slowly, talk slowly, shut up and listen. At least I've heard that can happen. And yet there is also a time for going and doing. And sometimes your healing is found in the going and the doing. I want to talk to you about one 
today for a very specific reason. This message won't be coded. It won't be secretive. You won't have to wait to the end for a big reveal. I want to speak to the family of God in the plainest language I know how. In a day when the questions are, how many attend your meetings? How many books did you sell? How many people watched your latest broadcast? One is unimportant. One is meaningless. It's just one. Of course, you have to ask when we're thinking about just one. Winston Churchill was just one man. And in the worst moments of 1940, when the Nazis seemed invincible, when European cities and European nations were falling like dominoes, one man seemed to inspire the rest of the world to stand free and to persist and prevail. So what would the world be without that one? You have to ask yourself, in scriptures like Acts 13, 47, what would the world look like today without one man who received this purpose? For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. What would the world look like today if the Apostle Paul had not answered that call? Not just men. You have to ask yourself, if you remove one woman from history, look at Esther 4 and the 14th verse. If you remove just this one verse, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? That you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. If little Hadassah does not answer the call, does not receive her purpose and does not do it, how many people would we have had to go through before we found someone that answers the call? Things are being asked of Jennifer and I in our 40s that should have fallen to men in their 60s. We could whine about that. We could cry about that. We could look at the fact that we probably were not God's first choice for the task that lay before us. Or we could rise to the occasion and say, I may not be His first choice, but I will do a first-class job. One is a significant Number in God's economy. Esther saved her race from extermination because she was awakened to her purpose. She listened to the preaching of Mordecai, put down resentment for Mordecai, and esteemed his advice more than her own opinions. And a nation was saved because of it. One is not an insignificant number. When I came to this city, the Lord told me to focus on one life at a time. In an age when masses are all that's important, how many friends you have in your social network, how many followers you have on your Twitter account, all that was important to the Lord was the one that He put in front of me in that moment. 
My mother graduated high school in 1968. Some of my fondest memories with my mom are driving to junior high and singing the songs that the monkeys sang. They were not popular when I was in junior high, but my mother liked them. And it's one of those things that I like to do with her. So we sang about not being a stepping stone. Wilson Pickett sang a song in 1968 called Mustang Sally. And I had a picture of a 1968 Mustang on my wall in junior high. And I liked to sing those songs with my mother. But I think her favorite group, like there's only a certain age group in here smiling. I think my, her favorite group was a group called Three Dog Night. And apparently if it's really cold in the Australian outback, you pull up one dog. If it's bitterly cold, you sleep surrounded by two. And I can't tell you what my kids call it, but if it's extremely cold, it's a three-dog night. Three-dog night is famous because in October of 1968, they released their first album. And on the first album, on the first side, there was a song called One. And the album was called One. For three minutes, they decry, they profane the number one. They say one is the loneliest number. Brace yourself for the rest of the lyrics and then realize that is about all there is. And it immediately reached fifth on the billboards. (coughs) The late 60s and the early 70s popular single that people went and bought. Something about one has always been despised. Something about one has always seemed futile. And yet the God that we serve in Deuteronomy 6.4 said these words. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ichad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There are so many things to be said about this important verse that you could preach a lifetime, volume upon volume, and never begin to scratch the surface of its depth. I've often talked about the word ihad, which means one, and spoken about its plural unity. That the Hebrews saw God as seven and yet they saw Him as one. That the New Testament often reveals God as three and yet as one. But not just that, in the book of Revelation He again is seven and yet one. What makes something that is seven, one? What makes something that is three, one? When there is no conflict in it at any point. When it is completely unified. The early days of the church were marked by the phrase, one accord, or all in one mind. You've heard it taught many times from this pulpit, from me and from guests, that the Greek word there is homothumaden, and it means a kind of harmony that everyone is in. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ichad. Absolute, totally resolute, 
clarity of purpose. These days, pastors speak about being intentional. And they use the word so much that I don't think anyone knows what it means. It's actually become a buzzword in Christianity to be avoided. Something becomes powerful about a man when they are not filled with 12 purposes. They are possessed of a singular purpose. We live in a time when everyone wants to multitask and everybody wants to be involved with a multitude. I find courage in simplicity. When you know the one next thing to do, when you know the one reason that you're on the planet, all other reasons fit neatly within that one. Surely there are many things that God wants to accomplish and yet He is... One. Surely there are many ways he expresses himself, and yet he is one. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Pick up with me in the 28th verse. Are you, my friends, awake this morning? Mark, the 12th chapter. And the 28th verse. Standing on a cruise ship, surrounded by decadence, surrounded by beauty, surrounded by all that a man could want to eat or drink or look at. Like Solomon, I found existence meaningless. If all you live for is the next meal, the next meal quickly becomes unfulfilling. If all you live for is how much you can drink, how long can you drink before you become sick? I watched a 40-year-old man throw up like a frat boy. Because when given no boundaries, when all restraint was cast off, told that he could drink all that he wanted to drink at an all-inclusive resort, he drank to the point where he threw up on his own wife, his own children, And all over himself, and when he turned towards me and my wife and children, he received a stern warning to direct it somewhere else, lest there be serious consequences. Life is futile if you don't know why you are doing it. Your days are robbed of their significance. If you don't know why you're enduring what you're enduring, why you're going where you are going. There needs to be a singular purpose, a purpose from which all others flow. For Paul, he was a light to the Gentiles. It wasn't his first choice, but it was God's choice for him before he was born. Esther was the savior of her people. How reluctant was that choice? She had no desire to be this person. But it was God's choice for her. Samson, how hard did he run from his purposes? But he was born for the purpose of destroying Philistines. So often, the people of God know that we love Him, know that He loves us, but have no idea what it is that we are supposed to do. We wrap ourselves in platitudes. Our bumper stickers say things like, I was created for worship. Forgive me, but that's a ridiculous joke. 
You were created for so much more than just worship. That is an insulating statement to keep you from having to actually search the heart of God and break your heart into pieces and say, Lord, how would you form my heart in my purpose? We look for something we can select from a drop-down list instead of from the throne of God. In Mark, the 12th chapter, and in the 28th verse, we find this occasion. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all of the commandments... Which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus. You may not find significance in each of the words in the gospel. Perhaps you just read over it. It's easy to do. Sometimes I see no significance in a verse. And other times I am so hung up on the spaces between the words that I simply can't even finish the verse until I understand it. Do you think Jesus was hard of hearing? Or do you think that he is reiterating the question to make sure that the man knows what he's asking? I mean, you only have a couple options. Either Jesus didn't hear him, or Jesus wasn't sure what he asked, or Jesus wanted to make sure that the man knew what he had just asked. In almost any elementary school classroom, you will see something like the golden rule. You ask any group of Christians anywhere, What is the greatest commandment? And they tend to say, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They do not start where Jesus started. Listen to this phrase. The most important one, answered Jesus, is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I want you to understand that God is not conflicted about anything. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't vacillate. He does not assign you a task and then take the task and assign you a different task of your liking. He doesn't say, oh, you wanted to do this? I had no idea. I know. I guess what? I am going to give you a different different job description. Forgive me, I was blind. The Lord is completely unified. Completely whole. The creation itself is not. But if you look at the 15th chapter of Corinthians, you find out that Jesus submits every enemy to the Father. He places them beneath His feet. You are His feet. And the kingdom is all in all or one. Ehad. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Say all. All. With all your soul. Say all. With all your mind, say all. All. With all your strength, say all like you mean it. If it's all, 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 what part is left out? See, there's no division. There's no segmentation. There's no lack of clarity. There's no ambiguity in this statement. Everything flows from one thing. So you can cross your arms and go, oh, good. My purpose is to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And my neighbor as myself. Wrong. 
This was the most important commandment from which everything else flows. But there is work assigned for you to do. There is a purpose and a reason for you to be here. And it is more than just your love for the Father. But it's your love for the Father that gives reason, meaning, strength and power to the purpose that is in your life. You know, when you think on such subjects, it's easy if we say everyone has a purpose. You feel very comfortable with that. Is there anyone that would disagree with that statement? Be bold. No. But when I turn to you and I say, what is your purpose? Does it make you want to squirm a little? Why would you single me out like that, Pastor? Well, if we can agree everyone has the purpose, everyone has a purpose, why do you get nervous when I say, what is your purpose? Why are you on this earth? Well, you're frightened. You're frightened that your purpose might have been incorrectly identified. You're frightened that you don't know what your purpose is. You're frightened. How do you get one? You know, I remember when Matthew received his. He got excited. He began telling people, the Lord God has revealed to me. My whole life, whatever I do, wherever I go, whether it's raining or whether it's sunshine, whether I'm on this continent, another continent, in this state or another continent, another state, whether I have one kid, five kids or 25 kids, whether people love me or hate me, I was put on this planet to propel people into the presence of God and that's what I will be doing. If you ask the Sutherlands, Sutherlands, why are you on the planet? Whether they're in Africa They're in Texas or they're in Louisiana. Whether they're in life-changing ministries or anywhere else, their purpose remains. God put them on this planet to be a builder of people. It fits perfectly with a pastoral calling, does it not? If you ask even the smallest children in the Stevens household, while they're in our household, their job, the purpose, the tip of the spear in the Stevens household is to excite or confront people with the reality of the kingdom. I can't help it. It's who I am. So which is it? Is it excite or confront? Well, it depends on what you think about the reality of the kingdom. In general, everyone's excited about it while we're talking about the things they want to talk about. It's funny when those who loved you on Monday hate you on Tuesday simply because you shoved a reality in the kingdom in their face and they had to square their lives with it. But it is our purpose. Wow, it's quiet. Well, I've got you uncomfortable. I'm going to press the point. Was your purpose revealed from heaven? Can you say God has spoken to me? You know, I was with Stephen Richards yesterday. And the Lord gave him clear direction, spoke to him about a kind of medical treatment that his wife was to receive doesn't matter whether that fits with your theology or mine because God said it to him and he's accountable to that. Someone else was telling him that that kind of medical treatment was tantamount to killing his wife. Well, number one, his wife still lives. And number two, when he turned to her and said, has God said that to you or did you hear it from somewhere else? The Christian became very quiet. He said, I'll make you a wager. 
rather a bargain. When you can walk in the room and tell me you're certain that you've heard from God for my wife, then your opinion will matter to me. Until then, I would like you to close your lips. And they're still friends. Was your purpose revealed from heaven or was it simply a platitude that you selected from a drop-down list after taking a spiritual gifts inventory? When you ask people their purpose and they're about as general as humanity is, to worship God, to love God, to know God. Thank you, Captain Obvious, for the journey into the blatantly well-known. I was asking, what is your function in the kingdom? It's an uncomfortable question. Because if you've reached the age of 60 and you don't know it, then you have to be forced into going, what have I been doing for 59 years? If you're at the age of 19 and you have to admit that you do not know it, then you have to admit that I really am just getting started. A man named Samuel Clemens, known to the world usually as Mark Twain, after visiting Israel late in his life, he said so many funny things. My favorite are cigar quotes, but I won't share those with you today. He said so many funny things. One of the things that he said about Israel is this is a place in which prosperity has reigned and fallen. For I think I just saw a goat eating gravel as if it were grain. Israel had been destroyed. And that was his impression. Of course, upon reflecting on his life, he said, I wished I had been born at 80 and gradually approached 18. If I knew then what I know now. It's unclear to me whether the man was ever actually in love with the king. But I'll tell you, there was a certain kind of wisdom in him. Let me ask you again. Do you know your purpose? And is your purpose, I'm speaking to you men now, something that your whole family participates in? Or do you segment your purpose based on the members of your family? Because Adam was given his purpose by God. And Eve joined that purpose. One of the things that made her cherished, unique, special, an easer, a helper, was that his task could never be accomplished without her. If your purpose can be accomplished by your lonesome, you may have incorrectly identified your purpose, particularly if you're married. Perhaps this is the reason there's so much discord in so many homes. They're not united around one purpose. Secondly, does your purpose have real, tangible presence? Or is it something that you simply hope for in the future? So many people say, my purpose is, but you cannot see that activity anywhere in their lives. This is a clue that you've picked something that God did not pick for you, perhaps because you thought that you would be esteemed, perhaps because you thought that you would help God out. He needed more of these. But it does not answer the question about your purpose. Thirdly, does your purpose stand the test of time? Or is it a fading, faddish ideal? You know, can you imagine that we were sitting in this room... And borrowing an example from the 12th chapter of Corinthians, 
One is a nose, one is an eye, one is an arm. We're all parts of the body and the parts that seem more valuable uh, might be worthy of less honor and the parts that seem ignoble might be worthy of more honor. Y'all are familiar with that whole discussion? Well, what if the eye didn't even know that it was an eye? You know, forget the fact that it might presume and want to be an ear. Let's, that's, for, that's what Paul's addressing. But let's forget that for a minute. What if the eyeball did not know that its job was to perceive and declare to the rest of the body what it was perceiving? How happy would it be? Well, of course, if it falls down by the feet and tries to do that for a while, it's not going to work. If it falls into the ear and tries to do that for a while, it's not going to work. It's close, but it's not there. How many Christians are unhappy in the body that they're in because they have no idea what their purpose is? And rather than be unhappy with themselves, they become unhappy with everyone around them. You know, this is not such a mystical truth. But it is truth. If you don't know what your purpose is, you will not be happy in anybody. If you know what your purpose is, you can be happy in any congregation. You're not competing. More than you're not competing, you know who you are. Every day is filled with significance because it's who you are. My wife and I were driving through nowhere, Texas. I would tell you how to get there, but you would have to start from somewhere else. It's nowhere. Truthfully, it was up by Marble Falls. It was beautiful. We picked a DMV that was, or in Texas, it's called the DPS, that was as far from anything as we could find. I said, let's go renew our license there because that's what we do in our time off, right? It's your raging 40s. <laughs> we arrived at a DPS. At 12.01, we found a sign that said, on January 28th, we will not arrive in the office until 10.30. Lunch will be from 12 to 1. Road test will be from 1 until 3.30. We close at 4. It was 12.01 and no one was there. There were tumbleweeds in the parking lot. We prayed in the parking lot for an hour. We're facing some change in our life at this point. We're trying to grasp, Lord, within our purpose, what is it that you have for us to do? We know the purpose doesn't change. It might develop, but it doesn't change. What is it that you have for us to do? One came, then 110, then 115, then 120. And the Texas State employee leisurely made their way into the DPS If you come to work three hours late, then you might as well take an hour and a half lunch break. I said, ma'am, do you think we could renew our license? No, I'm sorry, this is road test time. I can't help but notice that there's not been a car, a horse, or even a buzzard pass by here. (laughs) It's road test time. Yes, ma'am, thank you so much. You have a wonderful, blessed, amazing day. We wandered into a gun store because we had nowhere else to go and spent the next three and a half hours talking about the baptism in the Holy Ghost to a man behind the counter with our hands laid on him, 
praying for him and he spits out, if only there were somebody to teach me how to teach the word of God, I know that it's my calling and it's confirmed today. And I just smiled at my wife and said, no one takes a purpose from a child of God. They can't even be given away. You can just refuse to do it. Anywhere you are on the planet, your purpose prevails. You can be in Lampasas, Texas, and your purpose will find you. You can be in Bunky, Louisiana, and your purpose will find you. It's not something to be strived for. It simply is who you are. In the Gospel of Mark Twain, or if you like it better, the book of 1 Samuel Clemens, he describes this in a way that I can't help but share with you. He said, the two most important days in any person's life are the day he was born and the day he finds out why. Let that settle in on you for a minute. Number one, would you describe yourself as feeling significant? Would you describe yourself as walking in fulfillment of God's will? I'm not talking about I'm in the center of His will. I don't watch porn. I don't chew tobacco. I don't date girls that do. I, I, I don't know what you think. I'm asking you, would you describe your life as that hour I fulfilled the will of God. Next hour, oh man, it's going to be more the will of God. Do you feel that way? Or do you somehow feel like a stone skipping across a lake that occasionally you touch on it, but it still remains elusive and you're probably just going to sink? God did not design you to go through life purposelessness. Purposelessness, is that right? Without a purpose. He didn't design you to go through life without a purpose. And I got to tell you, there is more discontentment among the sons and daughters of God because they've either indirect or incorrectly identified their purpose or they failed to identify it altogether. So they're looking to other people who cannot possibly identify for them their purpose. And they're angry that no one has empowered them to do what God has called them to to do. Friends, only God can empower you to do what He called you to do. While I was sitting waiting for the DPS employee, <clears throat> I had a lot of time to think. And I remembered having read a story about the days when the telegraph came out. Anybody know what a telegraph is? Okay. You hear this clickety-clack, you know? Click, 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 click. It's Morris code. Somebody hears the clicking and the clacking and they, they hear a beautiful language in it. Right? So a man goes to apply for a job in a telegraph office. He walks in and there's 11 other applicants there. They sit down and they wait. And it's busy. There's a lot of clicking and clacking going on. And they wait in their neat little suits. You know, they want to impress the boss. They're thinking how they're going to answer all of those questions. They know that it's coming. And suddenly the last man, the 12th man that walked in, stands up and walks through the closed door. The door was closed. He opens it and he walks into the back. Now, the other 11 did what the other 11 would do. 
Who's this guy think he is? How dare him? He wasn't invited to the back. He simply threw open the door and went to the back. They're waiting for the rebuke to come. After all, I mean, they're waiting nicely in their seats to apply for the job of a telegraph operator. They're shocked a couple hours later because man walks out with the boss and they're walking arm in arm and smiling and he says, you 11 can go home. I have filled the position. They said, what do you mean you filled the position? We came to apply for it too. He said, yes, but the telegraph in the background kept saying over and over and over one repeating message. If you understand this, come in the back. You're my telegraph operator. And 11 sat still. Well, one perceived his purpose because it's who he was and he went to did it, to do it, did it. Been on a cruise too long. He went to do it. Friends, please don't find yourself in the position of hating those who have heard and answered the call. I promise there is a call for every person in this room. And if you have made it to this point in your walk and you're still unsure, the good news is you can become sure now. Some will undoubtedly hear me saying that they are purposeless and that it's the reason that they're angry and that they shouldn't be angry with me. That's the wrong message. The right message is that God has destined a purpose for every human being in this room. And that when each person knows the one thing that they were called to do, we all fit into the one purpose of God in a unique way. And until you get before the throne of God and find out why you were on the planet, no human being will ever make you happy. But if every other human being is dissatisfied with you and you know your purpose, no one can make you unhappy. My wife and I were discussing whether or not we were out to pasture. Not pastor, pasture, like what you do with the old horse. (laughs) To console ourselves, we went to look at 45s because that's what I like to do. And while standing talking about a H in uh, F in H 45. 16 round capacity. It's truly something that's amazing. Our purpose sprang into being. And suddenly we were no longer talking about the weaponry of men. We were talking about the armories of heaven. Suddenly we were no longer discussing the things that soldiers on earth clamor about. We were talking about heavenly soldiers. Do you know what? We were instantly happy. Instantly. Let me just go ahead and take a moment for an aside here from our message, which is incredibly simple. It's one. Let me say this. The Stevens are not going anywhere. This work was always life-changing ministries, plural. The Piros have a ministry. They propel people into the presence of God. That's what they do. We joined and covenanted with the Piros. Everybody in their house joins in that same purpose. And then we locked arms together to help form this church. The Sutherland's purpose is to build up people. That's what they do. We're locking arms and covenanting with them. And at some point, if the Piro's purpose is to propel people into the presence of God, you know what? I can't stand behind the guitar or I'm standing in the way of his purpose. At some point, 
If Pastor Wade's job is to build the body of Christ, he has to be given the room to do that. He's going to do it wherever he is. The question is, do you need two people doing the exact same task? No, you, you don't. During this time in our ministry, something is happening. We're recognizing that there are church bodies that we are connected to, church plants that we're connected to. There are family members, spiritually speaking, sons, brothers, those kind of things. And they still want the unity that they experienced here. They still need the kind of mentoring that they're accustomed to, just like everyone should always have. We're making room to do some of those things. And it turns out that the other pastors in this church are incredibly gifted. They're gifted in administration, so why not give them all of the budgeting? They're gifted in administration, so why not look at every process in the church and put it under their domain? What would that free us up to do? Solely focus on the purpose of the church. The one thing that God sent us here to lay a foundation for that will never change. It is who we are. And it will go everywhere that we go. Suddenly what you find is three men working in one purpose. Doesn't mean anyone's retiring. One of my sons, who I love very much, got to crying as he does sometimes. God always takes the biggest one and makes him the teddy bear. And he says, since my dad's leaving, I guess I'm going to blah, 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 blah. In 2012, I was gone for over 100 days. And you know what? This church did just fine. It grew in every possible way. If I spent one month in each of our satellite churches today, I would only be gone 90 days. God has set before us certain tasks that fall within our purpose. And shame on us if we shy away from them because they're difficult or require us to let go of comforts. But this morning, I'd rather talk about you because that's why you came here. You didn't come here to hear about someone else's life. You came here so that your own walk would be fruitful and productive. You would be prepared for the works of service which God laid out for you to do. Let us go to Philippians 2 and verse 12. Am I boring you? We're undeniably in a season of sending. We're watching the Hutchinsons go off. We're planting ministries everywhere and ministers everywhere we can. Soon we will visit to see Brad and Jana in Beeville creating a revival in a prison. We won't be any different there than we are here. We'll simply be who we are. Brad won't be any different there than he is here. He'll simply be who he is. Discovering who God called you to be and what your purpose is, is a very freeing thing. Are you in Philippians 2? Starting in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, hear this phrase, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Y'all repeat that with me. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue. We want to work very hard at it, settle the matter and move on. 
There is no place in your salvation walk, your salvation history, your salvation life in which you stop continuing to work it out with fear and trembling. This means that every decision is subject to judgment. Every act, every thought, every motive has to be worked out with the fact that you were saved for a purpose. Do I buy this house or that one? Do I work in this place or not? Do I go and join that ministry or not? All has to do with why God put you on the planet. When people awake to this, you see families like the Brasso family say, I love my church. It's an amazing church. I love the people here who are called of God. And yet for the purpose that is on our lives, it is required of us to go to life-changing ministries because they have something that prepares us for our unique work of service that cannot be accomplished anywhere else. That's not a commentary on the ministry they're in. It's a fine ministry. It's a commentary on the identification of their unique purpose and their desire to fulfill it. It might make a young man like Jerome leave his beautiful wife and a thriving ministry to come to spend time here, to have something added. It might make a young man like Ibrahim come across the ocean and pick this state to live in. In fact, if your purpose doesn't relate to this body, you're on the wrong flight. Somebody sold you the wrong ticket. Oh, I don't want to exclude anyone. I love you all. And yet, our ministry is about preparing people for their works of service. If you don't know what it is, how can we prepare you for it? So, well, you know, I kind of want you to tell me. How about you try and I'll tell you if you're wrong. Is that a good bargain? No, no. No, once I've said what it is, that's what it is. Despite all evidence to the contrary and decades wasted. Church, did you hear anything extraordinarily profound about building people up? Do you value the Sutherlands less? Do you hear anything uh, worthy of putting on a banner in front of the greatest evangelist of all time in Matthew and Cassidy's Calling? to propel people into the presence of God. And yet they're absolutely essential, are they not? Do you find value in their lives? What do you find yourself doing that God anoints? I'm not asking you what you want to do. I'm asking what is present in your life that God is anointing. See, purpose comes from God and it doesn't originate in our desires. This is an extraordinarily important point. I want to sing. I would love to be able to sing and play a piano. I would love to be able to sing, play a piano, play a guitar. I wish I could play all the instruments that most of you can play. I'd even like to play them better than you. I'm just bad like that. Oh, I am moved by a guitar solo in a way that is, I don't even have words for. I love it. But I figure God put certain limitations in my life because He wanted me to stay on my purpose. 
You know, it's a whole lot easier if you can't do very much. You just find out what you can do and figure God is blessing that and wait to see. But those of you out there that can do 35 things very well, it might lead to a confusion of purpose. I want to tell you that your purpose doesn't originate from your desires. How do we know that? Well, how about Romans 9.3? Could you put that on the screen? Let's, let's ask ourselves what it is that Paul is actually saying. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own brothers, those of my own race. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, but where were his desires? <laughs> Isn't it funny we always want the ministry we don't have? Oh, come on. Y'all not with me this morning? you just not telling the truth. I, you want anything other than what you have because what you have, you found out is hard and it's just life. You know, if you were at the Battle of the Bulge, if you were at the turning points of World War II history, you might have been a guy playing cards in a foxhole. You might have been one that looked all day and only saw one tank and it was in the distance and you fired at it. Or you might have been somebody who every friend around you got shot and you died. You'd probably be so consumed with your purpose and what was happening right there that you missed that you were playing a part of a much larger strategy. See, the devil has robbed us many times of the knowledge of the larger strategy because we're upset at what our buddy's doing in the foxhole over there and we're not doing. You have your part to play. How many of you need to be encouraged? Tell me the truth. <laughs> then what if your calling of somebody in this room was simply to bring encouragement into every situation? What if that was their calling? What if they were a Barnabas-like figure filled with a spirit of Barnabas and their calling was to find the God thread in every situation and point it out how needed would they be? But what if they wanted some other calling and so they refused to do it? What does that do to you? Look at your brother and say, I need you. I didn't hear it. Say it again. We need each other, saints. And we need each other something other than sullen and withdrawn. You want to know whether or not you have forgiven? Are you still withholding affection? Are you still pushing people at arm's length? It is not possible to forgive someone and continue to pay into their laps the consequence of their action from your hands. That's deception. And it accommodates itself in the mind. You find a reason for you, it's okay. Everybody else, no. But for you, it's okay. And this is why my circumstance is unique. You might even say, I just needed time to process, you know. Of course, Matthew 6.14 doesn't mention process time. I'm going to move on. Purpose comes from God. It does not originate with our desires. Esther had different desires, but God had a purpose. And when she embraced it, it was glorious. Samson had different desires, but when he embraced his purpose, it was glorious. Purpose is real and tangible. It's present right now. How do you know that? Well, Jeremiah 1.5 says... Before I formed you, I knew you. Ephesians 2.10 says the work He prepared in advance for you to do. In other words, your purpose is not hanging in the future. It was laid out before you got here. 
You're waiting to see what God wants to do and He's waiting to see if you will do what He's already ordained for you to do. Do you feel a part of ministry? No. No, I I don't feel a part at all. And you're sure that's someone else's fault. Let me ask you, what part is it you want? Somebody else already doing it? What can you do that would be a benefit to the body of Christ? What, what can you do that you don't see being done? See, if we looked for where we could contribute and we were not worried about what we got to consume, then we could really be one. You wouldn't worry about who's a pinky and who's an ear and who's an eyeball and who's a nose and what you were not allowed to do. There is no stronger statement that we can make as a ministry. No stronger statement about empowering people to do what they were called to do than things like we're letting completely go of the administration of this church because I believe that these two families were called to do it. We're letting completely go of the finances of this church because I believe these two families were called to do it. So... I'm not going to be lectured by anyone about what I don't allow you to do. It's not up to me. Perhaps we were not made to sit on our salvation. Perhaps there's a healing in the going. When I woke up this morning, I couldn't breathe very well. When I went to bed last night, I couldn't breathe very well. I texted Matthew at 2 o'clock in the morning Friday night. I said, I don't think I'm going to make that building project. When I walk from here to the kitchen, I, I fall into an asthmatic attack. I had the opportunity to preach this morning. How do you make a decision like that? I didn't know whether when I stood here I would collapse, whether I would hack and cough and not be... I didn't know what would happen. But you know what I did know? I know my purpose without any question. And I made the decision based on my purpose and figured that if God wanted it done, He'd heal me along the way. And I stand here able to take full breaths. This is not a new phenomenon for me. You want to make Eric Stevens miserable? It's the same way you become miserable. Rob your life of significance, purpose, and meaning. Decide that you want to go through life on a cruise ship. Just go from meal to meal, event to event. But don't find any significance... You know what another way to say significance in Hebrew is? Kavod. It's translated glory. Weightiness. There is no glory in the mundane. There's glory when for you the mundane becomes significant. When suddenly you're passing through nowhere, Texas, and you talk to a gun store employee who actually turns out to be the owner. And you see a divine convergence. Say, well, Eric, it's just been too long since I've seen a divine convergence. It's not too late. You can try today. I could have driven past the gun store too. The grace of God is that I didn't. And then when the giant human being squared off, looked at me and took a deep breath, and I was pretty sure he was going to hit me, I went ahead and spoke anyway. And found out that the whole front that I was seeing was because the dam was about to break and the giant was about to fall and the man was reduced to tears. 
I want to tell you, you do not have the ability to properly interpret what's going on in anyone else's spirit in here. Only God can show you that. And if he's shown you, don't back up from it. But you should not presume it either. You're pretty sure that somebody did such and such to you because blah, blah, blah. Did you hear that from God or did somebody else tell you? We pray for unity in this church all of the time. You know where true unity comes from? It comes from every link in the chain knowing its position. It comes from every tooth on the sprocket being evenly spaced. And only God can do that. But the way that He does it is when you're receptive to whatever He wants to do. And that's an easier thing to say than it is to live out. Purpose comes from God. It doesn't originate in your desires. Purpose is real and tangible. It's present right now. You don't have to wait on purpose. It was there waiting on you when you arrived on the planet. Third one. Purpose develops, but it never fades. You know, you want to talk about how to kill a generation of people? Tell them that when they're 62 and a half, their purpose goes away. They can hang in there till, what is it, seven, I wish Alex was in here, 74. You get a fuller retirement. You get more money, but there's still nothing for you to do. This kills people. Do you know in the Nazi internment camps... In the early years, they had them build things. They had Jews build things. They found out that in the most miserable existence, letting someone construct something still gave them hope, so they stopped it. Instead, they had them tear things down, and when they were torn down, take the pile of rocks and move it from here to there. Still, the people had hope. So they had them simply move the same pile of rocks back and forth and the futility of life was more detrimental to their soul than the lack of food why is the devil trying to rob you of purpose and why is your temptation to find that that problem is anywhere but you because he wants to kill you he has but one desire that's to destroy you and the purpose for which you were created that's his desire The kingdom really boils down to one. The one reason you're here and the one thing he wants to prevent you from doing. I mean, that really is it. And when you can grab hold of that and lay it before the Lord and say, Lord, I've lived many years, but I never really identified this. Oh, my goodness. Proverbs 25, 2. To the glory of God to conceal the matter, to the glory of kings to search it out. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to God, the things he revealed to us, our children and their children. See, once you have purpose, you are a dangerous human being. It might be to sound a clear call. I want to encourage you that your purpose is not found in some far off place. It comes from God. Your purpose is not something that occurs in the future. Your purpose is right now. And your purpose never fades away. It only develops. Let me show you that quickly. In John 18, verse 37. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying that I I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. Say that. For this reason I was born. 
Jesus had no problem identifying his purpose. It was the reason he was born. It was to be a king. And for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Not just a king, but a king whose kingdom was based on truth and the true testimony. This is out of Jesus' own mouth. Say, but wait a minute. Weren't there other things Jesus was called to do? How about Luke 19, 8 through 10? Somebody say there when you're there. In Luke 19, starting in verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, which is it? Is he a king called to declare the truth? Or did he come to seek and save that which was lost? It's both. So I thought there was one purpose. The mission statement of Jesus was that he was a king and that his kingdom was based on the declaration of truth. The byproduct of that was that he would always be seeking and saving the lost. One vision fits inside the other one. One is an activity of the other one. How about John 12, verse 27? Say there when you get there. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He's a king who came to declare truth. Part of that was seeking and saving that which was lost. And now he's at an hour where his heart is troubled. Did his purpose change? No, it's just clear that his purpose would include being crucified to declare the truth. See, your purpose develops over the course of your life. New steps of it are revealed as you go, but the purpose itself never changes. He declares it in advance. It's the reason that you're here. Sometimes we get sidetracked and we take one of those activities and we make it the purpose. Let's just for argument's sake say that music was a part of my life. It's not. I wish it was. But if I, were, if I were stealing someone's, that's what I would steal. I could get confused and say, because music is one of the activities in my life, my call is music. And the truth is, that would be completely wrong. This happens so often. And then I would be not so happy because I didn't see a way for my calling to come about. When the truth is I had missed the greater calling for a facet of the calling. Church, this is so common. But imagine that everybody in this room was completely comfortable with what God called them to do. And they knew that today would be significant because they intended on doing what God called them to do. And it would make up many activities in each person's life. But there would be a kind of plural unity that was happening among us all as each man was doing the work God assigned him to do. 
you may find that there's a master strategy at play. Is anybody in here feeling me yet? Let's turn to 1 Kings, and I'm going to start to wrap this up. Say there when you're there, you'll be in 1 Kings 2. (coughs) Have you had all you want? Should I stop now? One of the great benefits in this church is if you don't like the teaching this week, there'll be someone else Wednesday. If you don't like their teaching Wednesday, there'll be someone else Sunday. If you find that you don't like the teaching that comes from the pulpit, no matter who is giving it, the problem might be with you. And I'm not ashamed to say it. We live in a time when pastors are not supposed to be confrontational. Well, let me disappoint you up front. It is my calling. I would rather excite you than I would confront you. But I find very often that the same thing said to two people excites one and confronts the other. Which makes me wonder whether the problem's with the message, the messenger, or the recipient. Oh my God, that we would have good soil in our hearts. Amen? First Kings 2, this is going to be so simple you could miss it. And I don't want you to miss it. And if you're sitting there counting your bladder clock, if you've been sitting on your salvation long enough that it's begun to get stiff and sore, I promise I'm not going to keep you here another half hour. There's really just one more thing that I hope to give you. And if you can wait on me a few minutes, I won't waste your time. Is that fair enough? In 1 Kings 2... Pick up in verse 2. We can do it in verse 1. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. How many of you would like to have met King David? How many of you would like to have met Solomon in his heyday? I mean, forget the later years, but in his heyday, he was something that was not a king like him in his lifetime. Now to get to meet David and Solomon and sit in as a fly on the wall in that conversation... What does it look like when the anointed warrior of God meets the very wisdom of God and their father and son? What does it look like when the time period that represents Jesus' first coming meets the time period that represents His second coming? What does it look like? Oh, this passage is so deep. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, He said. So be strong. And show yourself a man. How do you show yourself a man? Speaking to you heads of households now. Oh, I know. You're a dictator. It's your way or it's the highway. Don't you suggest to me Taco Bell, we're going to Burger King, and if you don't like it, God made me the head and you the tail. Is that how you show yourself to be a man? I know. It's your promotions at work. You're a man if you've accumulated money and respect for yourself. Oh, I know. You're a man if there's a whole harem of young ladies who are vying for your attention. That makes you a man. Have you seen all of these things in the world? I mean, what does every young person that wants to be a rap star want?
What does every young person who wants to be the world's greatest professional athlete want along with that? It's really just a means to something else, isn't it? I mean, after all, these are men, right? They're showing themselves to be men. Listen to how David defines for Solomon how you show yourself to be a man. Verse 3, observe what the Lord your God requires. The first component is observe what the Lord requires. How do you observe something if you don't know what it is? You're going to have to know your purpose if you want to show yourself to be a man. If you are a grown man with a wife and children and you don't know why you're on the planet, you've not grasped the essential of what it means to be a man. Why are you here? Did God reveal it to you from heaven? Has it borne the test of time? Is it present in your life now? If you know your purpose, that is the first step in showing yourself to be a man. Second, walk in His ways. It's not enough to know what you're called to do. You have to actually do it. Actions have to accompany your statement of faith. Do you know what your purpose is? If you know what your purpose is, are you busy doing it or do you only remember it during tough times? Because a man knows his purpose and is busy doing it come hell or high water. The last part of the verse. And keep His decrees and commands. You can't keep something that you haven't had. But once you know your purpose, once you're walking in your purpose, knowing it and acting on it, if you will. The third thing is you adhere to it. Your purpose is not for a season. I have met more men that cowered out pansied away their purpose because they said, oh, well, that was just for a season in my life and now I'm in a new season. Your purpose is immutable. Don't let anybody pull you off of the reason you were put on the planet for. You never retire from your purpose. You never go on vacation from your purpose. Your purpose is who you are in the kingdom of God. And you know what? When you've identified that, it's the first step in masculine holiness. When you begin doing it, it's the second step in masculine holiness. And when all the power of hell cannot dissuade you from completing the task, oh, you are showing yourself to be a man. Now listen to me, saints, and argue with me. Tell me that you don't see that in the Apostle Paul. Tell me that you don't see that in each of the men that follow Jesus. They knew who they were in the kingdom. They got busy doing it. They didn't wait for anybody to design a program for them. God laid it out and all the power of hell could not keep them from persevering in it. In the book of Acts, Luke and the rest of the traveling companions of Paul fed by Agabus tried to keep Paul from going to the one place Jesus had told him he must go. But he could not be dissuaded. You know why? Because he was the most masculine, holy man in the room. Now, ladies, if that doesn't speak to you at all, 
you get to join in that calling. And you don't want a limp-wristed daffodil for a man that you are following. I mean, we might. You might want one that you can control. You might want that initially. But in the end, you will hate him for it. Because God ordained this, that a man would receive a call from heaven. He would prove himself a man by receiving the call, walking in the call, and adhering to the call. And you would be attracted not just to the man, but the call of God on his life. Now we would have a couple doing what no one individual could do. And then they would have children, and we would have a whole quiver full of arrows doing what no one person could do alone. And then they would join a church full of people that had experienced what they experienced and they would be unstoppable. The gates of hell would never prevail against them. If I could give you anything this morning, it would be a good rousing, a grabbing of the shoulders and say, know your purpose, act in your purpose, adhere to your purpose. You have but one purpose, one reason for existence. Charles Finney said the following, Revival comes from heaven. When heroic souls enter the conflict, determined to win or die, or if need be, to win and die. Oh, church, the men that changed the world The ones that made a difference weren't possessed of 12 visions. They were possessed of a singular purpose. And everything else fit into that. What is your purpose? It's right that we should close now. I promised you earlier that I wouldn't wear you out. It's now 1210. I've gotten healed while I'm preaching. But my goal was not that I get healed. It was that you get healed today. I know what's in the Stevens mezuzah. The Lord told us to excite people, even confront them about the reality of the kingdom. I know the attitude with which we're supposed to carry it out. He many years later told me, die for your brother's vision. I know the method with which He wants to bring it around the globe. He told me 12 springs would feed 70 palm trees. I'm going to start with 12 springs. And we're going to reach the nations. My wife had a vision. And in her vision, it confirmed each of those things. A man in Lafayette, Louisiana, spoke to us about a season of church planting. And it confirmed each of those things. And this year we had a vision of a plow. And it's confirmed the next step we're supposed to take. The Stevens don't leave this ministry. We let go of significant portions of it for your benefit. Because the men who are empowered to do it will do it better than I ever did. Because it's why they were put on the planet. And in addition to caring for this church, the Stevens are going to stretch out in the one association and see if we can help every human being we come into contact with identify their purpose by confronting them with the reality of the kingdom. I'm going to ask you not to be nervous as we go through transition. I'm going to ask you to not to sit on the sidelines and just watch the transition. 
I want you to participate in it. <clears throat> if you have trusted me this far, especially those of you that have come this far, I'm asking you not to give up in the home stretch because it becomes hard. You've been taught a masculine holiness. And when it becomes hard, we adhere. That's what we do. This church will become stronger and stronger because we will send everyone away who is called to be sent away. And we will build everyone here who is called to be built here. And all of us together will be propelled into God's presence. And he has a master plan. And who are you or me or anyone else to argue with it? There is but one way to please him. That is to submit to his purpose for your life. Could you stand to your feet?